happy Mother's Day, everyone, wherever you are and whoever you are. Even if you're not a mom, my guess is that you have been shaped by a mother or a motherly figure in your life at some point. I'll be honest, Mother's Day is not a particularly easy day for me personally. There's a lot of complicated emotions wrapped up in this day. But at the same time, there's nothing more I'd like to do than celebrate the mothers of Mission Hills. Historically, church mothers have shaped churches far more than any pastor in the pulpit, and I think that the moms of the church have a fantastic perspective on the state of community. What I've noticed on Mother's Day is that one, if one actually preaches about the day, it takes one of two forms. Either it falls into the category of, yay, mothers, let's play the comparison game by bringing up mothers in the Bible, or happy Mother's Day here's how to be a better mom. The other possibility is that the sermon completely ignores the day and carries on with the lectionary as usual, which I think is better in comparison to the other two. But I'd like to still try and honor mothers and the women of our church in general while also talking about what the lectionary text brings for us today. I think I might be a little bit more scattered in this sermon than normal, trying to tie in all of my thoughts on two of the lectionary passages and on Mother's Day, but I believe in you. If you can follow the plotline of Tiger King, Ozark, Lion King, you name it, I think you'll crush this. So all in all, here's our destination for this morning. Radical, sacrificial love is woven deep into the unique identity of motherhood and Jesus' words to the disciples. In order to get there, we have to start with some building blocks. If we can talk about Jesus' identity, we can talk about God's relationship to us from a motherly perspective. If we can go there, then we can talk about the need for self-parenting and find places to acknowledge where we're still growing. If we can do that, we can talk about the mothering it takes to speak truth to power. And if we can do that, then we can talk about the dangers of a martyr complex and what happens when we don't let this nurturing side of our lives take precedent. And finally, if we can do all of those things, we can talk about actively honoring the motherly figures in our lives. Identity into mothering, into martyrs, into danger, into honoring into sacrificial love. All right, let's do this. So we go a little bit backwards in one of our passages today. The setting for the passage in John is that they've just had the Last Supper and Jesus has predicted Peter's betrayal. Super fun, right? Awesome place to start. But then it's kind of like one of those good news, bad news situations and the disciples collectively were like, Jesus, we want the bad news first. Now tell us the good news. Jesus swoops in with this slightly convoluted analogy that he is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through me. When I worked for Spring Hill Camps, this was a great backdrop for an activity where you draw two cliffs, one with you on it and the other with God. In the middle is this massive chasm where sin is waiting at the bottom, and if you try to get to God by yourself, jumping across, you fall mercilessly to your death. Again, fun, right? But the whole key to this puzzle was that Jesus was the bridge via the cross. That was it. 
With that message, kids are shamed or scared into behavior modification in the name of earning treasures in heaven. But what actually is being said? Jesus starts right out of the gate saying, let not your heart be troubled. There's plenty to be troubled about right now, let alone in the moment this comes from contextually. Whenever I read this passage growing up, it felt like one of those statements people would say when they're uncomfortable with mental health or grief. Don't be depressed, just get over it. Why are you anxious? The answer to your problem is simple. You're just sad. It'll pass. At least this. At least that. Personally, I don't think that this is what's happening here. I think that Jesus is actually paying really close attention to the disciples. I think that Jesus is saying something more about the abundance of who he is rather than the lack of what the disciples have. I think it's a both and. But while it seems Jesus is giving answers, there's also not a cut and dry roadmap provided here. No step by step, this is how your life will turn out. He proclaims something about his identity that roots him even while the chaos comes, the storm rages, disappointment appears, and judgment is placed. There's something so universal of experiencing Jesus in relation to God in this child-parent relationship that can help ground our experience of him and ourselves. However, when the storm of life comes, it can be too easy to just stick to that line and fall into a pattern of repressing the shadow side of our emotions because somewhere along the line, someone used this to try and control your response or behavior. Do not be troubled. Sometimes when we've grown up with these kinds of rhetoric or grew up hearing or seeing actions that did not affirm a true inclusive love, we have to re-parent ourselves. That's a strange process. Giving yourself what you didn't receive as a child, acknowledging your unmet needs and taking actions towards it. The four pillars of reparenting are discipline, joy, emotional regulation, and self-care. Depending on your experience, there are going to be different gaps. Many, including myself, are protective over their childhood experience because it's so personable and vulnerable. And no one goes about their day hoping to admit gaps in where they maybe didn't receive what they needed and it may continue to show up in their current relationships. For me, it looked partly like identifying the soft side of God, the supposedly feminine but truly caring, comforting, warm version of God I had not grown up knowing. Glennon Doyle is wife to Abby Wambach, aka my biggest crush slash the biggest soccer star, aka Glennon may officially be the luckiest woman in the world. She's also an incredible author, and her most recent work, Untamed, was released right before Pandemic Hit. I highly recommend this read. Um, I know for me personally, it was a great reminder. This particular passage has been circulating the internet this week, and I think for good reason. Glennon, you refer to God as she. Why do you believe that God's a female? She responds, I don't. 
I think it's ridiculous to think of God as anything that could possibly be gendered. But as long as the expression of God as female is unimaginable to many, while the expression of God as male feels perfectly acceptable, and as long as women continue to be undervalued and abused and controlled here on earth, I'll keep using it. Mad props to Glennon, and seriously, check out more of her stuff if you can. The point of the sermon is not to convince you to see God as a mother. It is not to convince you of a solely feminine deity and that you must start using feminine pronouns. If anything, it is that people of all genders are capable of experiencing and expressing these moments of mothering. There's a good side and a shadow side to that, right? I went to the source of all great research, Facebook and Instagram, to ask what comes to mind when thinking about mothers or mothering. Polls say in a healthy situation, words like compassionate, comfort, selflessness, thoughtfulness, warmth come to mind. Somehow along the way, these are the aspects of a relationship with a motherly figure that have become elevated. But I would think that these are characteristics that most people hope to experience or cultivate. I don't think it takes explicitly calling God a mother to cherish these characteristics in God's nature. Jesus simultaneously models these characteristics while also calling out oppressive systems, also being a strong political force. I don't know about you, but the women that I know, especially mothers, are superheroes when it comes to doing it all. I can't imagine being a parent right now and being the provider and the teacher and the play coordinator and the comforter and the advocate and X, Y, or Z. The potentially destructive truth that gets told though is that the message goes from mothers can do it all to mothers have to do it all and are not allowed to get credit for it. But what about the mother advocating for her baby to get tested for COVID-19 but is denied? What about the prophetic female voices not taken seriously from the pulpit or the protest? The Sunday in the lectionary introduces us also to Stephen in our Acts passage. He's a Hellenist, a Greek-speaking Jew, who would have been someone converted by hearing the testimony of the apostles. He goes to the Temple of the Freedman, which was composed of Jews who had been enslaved by the Roman Empire and were later set free. Stephen comes in basically challenging the establishment and and changing the script of who's in and who's out. Sound familiar? Basically, he comes into this space within the context of suspicion built between Hebrews and Hellenists. Hebrews disliked Hellenists as people who remained in Greek culture, while Hellenists tend to see Hebrews as holier-than-thou traditionalists. He's speaking at the synagogue, and the opposing arguers don't have a comeback for the truth that Stephen is proclaiming. So they come up with these false accusations, saying he's blaspheming against Moses and God. He comes back with this long background of the Old Testament when he's brought before the high priest and points out all of these truths that come up against the actions and beliefs that some of these men were holding on to. He also comes at them with some pretty direct call-outs. 
Stephen has a vision of Jesus in heaven, and they can't take it. They take action against him and stone him outside of the city. What he was trying to proclaim was an offensive gospel. Truth never permits you to remain neutral, never leaves a middle ground. It always bursts through and drives you either to one side or the other. Once you see, you can't go back to sleep. Stephen is both acknowledging God's caring, comforting, sacrificial love while simultaneously helping shape the tangible reality of what happens when the code or ethical and spiritual framework shifts. The deep tragedy is that life is lost on the road towards revelation and revolution. The issue comes, though, when we start making the causal relationship between suffering and salvation takes many forms. Suffering in some traditions has become more of a badge of honor than a universal experience that can be acknowledged and held by a community rather than an individual on their own. This can't be a healthy connection because somewhere along the way, someone is gonna start just calling nurses heroes and act like the risking of their lives is just a necessary casualty rather than calling into question the institution of American healthcare that has not mitigated as much risk as they possibly could have because profit over people rather than the right way around. I became aware of what my counselor and I identified as a martyr complex. And honestly, I was hesitant to open up the Acts passage about Stephen within the sermon because I didn't want to perpetuate this message, this old adage that you must suffer for the kingdom. Mothers, you must suffer and never be acknowledged. Christians, it's your duty to be discriminated against and counted as stewardship as racking up your gifts in heaven. You must see how much you can take and not complain even if it's unhealthy. I texted Ryan for advice this week, and I think he made a good point here. There's something about what happens when a prophetic voice asking and encouraging a radical shift in society is eradicated faster than it is taken seriously. How many trans women of color were brutally murdered in 2019 for just existing? Was not their existence a prophetic voice of a radical acceptance and love for the depths of their identity? How many more deaths of radical modern prophets will it take for the collective to repent for institutional level sin? Rachel Held Evans was one modern prophetic voice who actively advocated for LGBTQ inclusion and anti-racism in the church. We just crossed the one-year anniversary of her passing, and it is still incredibly obvious how many people she touched. She said it this way, The apostles remembered what many modern Christians tend to forget, that what makes the gospel offensive isn't who it keeps out, but who it lets in. There's something about the historical patterns of lives lost to seemingly obvious truths. And yet the call-outs have filled many with enraged hearts. The passage ends with Stephen doing this act of forgiveness in his final moment of life, 
echoing Jesus' own words said on the cross. Lord, do not hold the sin against them. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Should be a good moment that Stephen's in, right? Even though it might be a harsh call-out, it was an awakening, the true widening of the circle. And yet many have established themselves as the gatekeepers, as the determiners of what is right and wrong, who's in and who's out. The right way to parent or to trust God or to live your life. Jesus' response to opening up the gates was not adding more rules, it was simplifying them. The response was not to require more, but to celebrate more, to love more, to extend grace more. Rather than glorify suffering, play the comparison game, ignore the places we still need healing, try to do it all ourselves, gatekeep who's in and who's out of the kingdom, or dismiss our needs, I think the point of examining ourselves and our relationship to the divine is to find space for that grace. I want to end this sermon by stealing a theme that we had popping up a couple times earlier on this year. While I wanted to shy away from going too much down the rabbit hole of potentially murky water when it comes to Mother's Day, I still feel like we need to give credit where credit is due. To do that, a big part of religion and relationship is the artifact of celebration in our lives. Whether it is celebrating the ritual of communion, celebrating weddings and birthdays, even over Zoom, celebrating the small wins as as, as much as the big ones, celebration is ingrained in how we relate to one another. Let's be honest, women have not always been celebrated in church. So in that respect, I am perfectly okay with using a podcast time to name some of the honorable members in our church. So as a benediction today, I offer this. Honorable are the women who have decided not to or are unable to have children, and Mother's Day is a difficult day for them. Honorable are the mothers who have strained relationships with their own and are doing their best to not repeat the same patterns with her children. Honorable are the mothers who work all day and continue to love and serve her family once arriving home. Honorable are the women trying so hard to have a child and have had difficulty with their faith in the process. Honorable are the mothers who have adapted to the overwhelming nature of COVID-19. Honorable are the mothers who are also teachers and have adopted entire classes worth of children and helped them achieve as her own. Honorable are the mothers who receive no validation from their teenage children for the time and resources that have been spent on them. Don't worry, they'll get there. Honorable are the mothers that get emotional every time they think about their children growing up too fast. Honorable are the mothers who have taken time to create space for their children to have their own experience of faith. Honorable are the parents who have filled multiple roles and are just as motherly and strong. Honorable are the mothers who have lost their children, whether to violence or disease, 
Mother's Day is also a reminder of the pain of this life. From what I know, motherhood is messy, full of mistakes, often overcome with feelings of defeat or being overwhelmed, and reveals how human all of us are. Yet it also reveals that people are so much stronger than they often believe. Those who live into spaces of parenthood in any of its many forms know what kind of sacrifice it takes to be present to this degree in others' lives. What if God is willing to be that involved in our healing? What if allowing ourselves vulnerability increases our capacity for empathy? How might we acknowledge the spaces in which we need reparenting, be aware of the dangers, and honor those in our lives even in the midst of trying times? Because y'all, life might look different in a few months, but it will probably never be easier. There might be different forms of joy and of pain in your life, but life will never be absent of either. We are allowed to be and are capable of being in process for the entirety of our lives. Doesn't matter whether you start at five or 50. I hope that even though this might have been hard to follow along with, that there is something of use for each of you. With that, may we have more space to be messy this week, to speak truth to power, and to love one another in a world that needs so much healing.